We're now going to read the Bible passage before Josh comes to speak to us. It's Acts chapter 22, verse 22, to chapter 23, verse 11. <clears throat> if you like a Bible, raise your hand and someone will bring one to you. It's page 1120 in the Church Bible. Paul, the Roman citizen. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it illegal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported, What are you going to do? He asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realised that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. The commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. So the next day, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and set him before them. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest, Ananias, ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law. Let you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, How dare you insult God's high priest? Paul repri replied, Brothers, I did not realise that he was the high priest, for it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. There was a great uproar, as some of the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force 
and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Thank you, Anna, and thank you, um, Waikonet guys. Um, it's been great to have you guys at the front. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm going to speak to you about that passage. I'm going to speak, um, hopefully, in a way that the young people can, can listen, so do tune in. It's not the grown-up bit now, um, but also the rest of you do tune in. It's not the young people's bit. Um, I'm going to pray before we come to this passage, and um, it was lovely to hear the, the Waikonet guys pray for us and church life, so I'm just going to pray for, for them as well. As, as, as we approach the Bible. So let's, let's pray. Father God, thank you for all our young people. And um, we particularly want to pray for them in the challenges they face in um, schools and where they are um, exposed to a lot of things that are values that our world has but that might not be shared in the Bible. Um, we pray that as they are very much at the, the front end of lots of um, discussions of our times, Lord, we pray that you'd guide them and guard them and protect them. And we pray that you'd help us as a church to equip them and love them and pray for them, that they might be people who navigate this tricky period of life and um, grow in their faith in Jesus. Lord, as we pray that, we also turn to your word and we pray that your word would be the thing that keeps us trusting in Jesus. We pray that as we open Acts today, uh, that we would find things in there by the work of your spirit that would really encourage us to be bold in speaking for Jesus wherever we are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, a couple of years ago, I was at some event and um, I met a guy I'd never met before. And um, we got chatting. It was probably a coffee break or something. And over a drink of coffee, we got talking, just small talk. Um, and we got talking about sport. And there was a rugby match coming up soon. And it was Wales versus England. And the man, as we were talking about sport, he said, oh, I hope England win that one, don't you? There's something funny about the Welsh. Now, a bit of background for you, in case you don't know. I'm Welsh. <laughs> Awkward. So I, I thought I'd better step in. I'd better not let him get any further before he puts his foot in it. So I said, oh, well, it's funny you should say that. Um, obviously, they're not all that funny because I'm, I'm Welsh. Um, and he said, oh, no, no, not, not people like you, but it's those people who, like, speak Welsh. <laughs> A bit of background for you. Uh, in case you don't know, I also speak Welsh. <laughs> Uh, that conversation didn't really go on very much longer. Needless to say, we didn't end up becoming friends. Because um, it's tri quite tricky when you're wanting to talk to somebody, but they have already made up their mind about you. They've already come to a conclusion about you, and there's no way that you can really keep that conversation going. It's just going to be really very awkward. Well, we're looking at the book of Acts in our Sunday services, and one of the things that's emerged as we've looked through this book of Acts is that Christians, people who love Jesus and trust in him, well, they always speak about him wherever they go. But if you are someone who's a Christian, you may well have found your experience to be a little bit like mine, where it's quite difficult actually to speak about Jesus wherever you go, when you get the sense that the people you want to share Jesus with have already made up their mind about you. 
Many of us are not particularly confident sharing what we believe about Jesus with our friends, uh, whether that's at school or whether that's at work or socially. Many of us aren't that confident because we know, we know what our friends are hearing. We know that the TV, the, the news that they read, we know that the, uh, the social media they consume, the TV that they watch and the books that they read paint a picture of Christianity as, well, at best, outdated and irrelevant, but at worst, it's actually quite harmful. They might have said to you, Christianity is outdated because it suppresses women. It's oppressive towards certain minority groups. Christianity just needs to get with the times and update. You might have heard someone say, religion is just the reason for, for why wars happen. And I don't doubt that being in school puts you at the very sharp end of that type of criticism. Now, just to be clear, I don't think that everybody who's not a Christian always holds all those views. But because some do, and because their voice is often quite loud, then I do get that it puts us off being confident to bring up our faith in conversation. It's like me with that man I was speaking to. I knew he'd already made up his mind about me. And it just didn't really feel like the right time to start talking about how great it was to be Welsh. And maybe... Your, your friends, people you know, have already explained to you why they think Christians are bigoted and Christianity is outdated. And so, <laughs> what are you going to do? It's not very easy now, is it, to, to share with them why you found prayer and praise so encouraging last Sunday. It's always going to be awkward. It's always going to be that difficult conversation. But this section of Acts that hopefully you have open, this is really great to help with that. It's a great passage for anyone who doesn't really feel confident uh, talking about Jesus because you know that, or you sense that people have already made their mind up about it. We're going to see two great reasons today why you can be confident to talk about Jesus. And the first is this, no charges. Um, let's have a look at the passage. Let's talk about the story and what's going on in this passage. I don't know if you followed it. Sometimes there's a bit of toing and froing in the passage, so it can be a bit tricky. Let me show you what's going on there. You might have picked up when we read the very first verse, chapter 22, verse 22. We're already in the middle of a story about a man called Paul. He's a man who goes around teaching about Jesus wherever he can. And just before today's passage, in the paragraph before we started, he's just had the opportunity to explain his story, to share his story with an angry crowd. And so our reading picks up at the point where the crowd don't want to hear any more. And they shout and they raise their voices, and it's there in verse 22, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. So they want to kill Paul. And the rest of today's passage is what happens next. And it falls into two scenes, and we'll look at them both. In the first scene, Paul is taken away from the mob by the Roman soldiers. The Roman commander hasn't picked up what's going on. When Paul gave his story, it was in a different language. So the Roman commander doesn't know why there's this violence and an uproar. So he wants to question Paul. The way they did those in Roman times, questioning, was to give him a good whipping, a good flogging, with a really heavy, brutal, sharp whip. Um, the books that I've read on this say that um, the type of uh, flogging he'd have gotten would have been something that leaves people injured for life. You don't get over this type of Roman flogging. But Paul speaks to the centurion and then to the commander, and it seems that he manages to wriggle out of this 
severe flogging on a technicality about his nationality. Then we move into the second scene of what's happening, and the commander uh, needs, still needs to know some answers. He still doesn't understand why there's a, an angry mob after Paul, and so he decides that he'll hand Paul over to the, the Jewish religious court. That's called the Sanhedrin. That word's there in verse 30. And it quickly becomes clear in the Sanhedrin that Paul's not going to get a fair trial. You see in chapter 23, verse 1, he says, I've got a clean conscience before God. And then the chief priest, the person in charge of it all, orders Paul to be punched in the mouth. So it's not going to go well. But again, Paul seems to pull a trick here. He, uh, he knows that there's a subject that's going to be controversial. He brings up that controversial subject. He starts a massive argument. It descends into chaos. And the Roman commander's got no option but to whisk Paul out of that and put him back into custody, still probably quite confused as to what's going on here. Now, that's the story. It looks, then, like two little episodes where Paul manages <clears throat> to get himself out of trouble. First, he manages to, to wriggle his way out of a flogging. Second, he gets himself out of a death sentence. What is strange about this passage is that we already know a little bit about Paul. And if there's one thing we know about Paul, he will suffer for the sake of the gospel. We know Paul is willing to suffer for sharing Jesus. If you've been with us reading Acts <clears throat> since we began it, you may remember that Paul has already taken a severe beating. He's already been stoned. He's already been in prison. He's already been whipped. <clears throat> So this is odd that we've got a section about Paul managing to get out of suffering. Why is this here? Well, when we're reading the Bible, it's always helpful to ask not just what's happening in the story, but why did the author, why did the writer want to include this? The writer is a man called Luke. And Luke, I take it, is showing us two occasions where Paul escapes suffering for a reason. And that reason is there were no charges against him. See, Luke knows that his readers, people who are going to read this book, you and I, are people originally, the original ancient readers, would have been people like you and I in our situation. People who've got friends who've only ever heard negative things about this Christianity thing that's going around. See, Luke is writing to people who might not really have much confidence to share Jesus with their, their mates in class or their friends at work or their colleagues because those people already think Christians are troublemakers. Luke is writing this into people where there's already rumors. There's already a bad reputation about Christianity. For Luke's readers, the Christians in the news are the ones who are accused of hatred and starting trouble. And for us, well, the Christians in the news that all our friends hear and watch are those Christians who are accused of discrimination and prejudice. Well, Luke will put that straight in these two little episodes. Luke wants you to know that the real Christianity, where it came from, what Christianity really means, if we're talking about the key message of Christianity, Luke is saying, listen, in history, there's no charges against it. There's no problem, actually, with the message of Jesus. There never was. The very first Christians were attacked for it, but there's never, ever been any charges that stick. So you notice in the first section of the passage, Paul's about to get flogging, and in verse 25, out that if he were to be flogged for this, it would be illegal. He's not demanding his rights here. He's not trying to squirm out of a tight spot. 
he's just pointing out that there's nothing actually wrong in the Roman law with what he's doing. And Luke wants us to see that. There was never anything wrong with what Paul was doing in the Roman law. To punish Paul wouldn't be right. In fact, that would be the wrong thing because he's not been convicted of doing anything wrong. The same in the second section in, in chapter 23, verses 1 to 11. Paul's in front of the Jewish religious court. He gets to say um, to the high priest, look, my conscience is clean. And then it's the high priest who orders him to be punched in the mouth. So what Paul says to the high priest in verse 3 is that it's actually him, the man who's meant to be upholding justice and fairness. He's actually the one who's causing the trouble and acting violently. And so when Paul throws in this grenade of uh, raising this controversy, he gets them arguing about the resurrection in verse 6. He's just exposing the fact that the issue here is not the problem with Christians. The issue here is their own bias. And Luke records, not for the last time in Acts, by the way, that half of this court say that they find nothing wrong with this man. See, Luke wants us to read this. He wants you to see this morning in black and white, there in verse 9, whatever people are saying on social media, whatever people say on your coffee break or around your dinner table, there are no charges against the gospel. Now, let's just be clear. It doesn't mean then that people are going to listen. This isn't here so that you have got kind of an argument against people who don't believe the gospel. This is just for you, for your own confidence. So when you want to tell people about the difference Jesus has made in your life, Luke says, look, there's nothing wrong with that. We could trace it back through history. There's nothing wrong with that. You can do that. It's not breaking any rules. You can tell people about the difference Jesus has made in your life. There's no shame in believing the message about Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And you can tell that to people. In history, that's never been shameful to do. And so there are times when it's appropriate to point that out. In Paul's day, he could draw on the legal protection that he has as a Roman citizen in the Roman law. That's not true in every country. This, so this passage won't apply like this in every country. But you know what? Today, in our country, there are legal laws that say that you can't be discriminated against because you're a Christian. There are laws that say you have freedom of religious expression and freedom of speech. Now, Paul's not saying here that his example is to kick up a stink, press on for his rights so that he feels vindicated and puts the others to shame just to get on their nerves or out of pride or because he's been hurt by this. He's not doing this for himself. But, you know, if, if popular opinion and society would like to create a world where we're made to think the gospel can't be spoken about, well, you know what? There are laws to protect us from that. And we are free to use that protection. There are no charges against the gospel. It's good news. It's true. It's precious. So here's the thing. We don't need to shrink back and believe the lie that there is somehow something unacceptable. Somehow, some way of, that it breaks the rules to share what Jesus has done in our life. That we have to do that under the radar. That's the first thing in this passage for you if you struggle with confidence in sharing Jesus. There's nothing wrong, there's nothing shameful, nothing unacceptable about this message about Jesus. Okay, people might not like it. People will always want to get you in trouble for that. People uh, may not listen, 
This isn't a formula, but really do believe this. You don't have to go along with the idea that what you believe is just best kept quiet. That it's your personal thing, that you mustn't share it. Because, you know, in history, whatever is thrown against Christianity, whatever's been thrown at the Bible, or Jesus or Paul, this news that Paul is speaking, our hope that he says in verse 6 and 7, of the resurrection, that's not harmful. That's not oppressive. It's not prejudiced. It's not outdated. Look here. No charges stick. You can speak about this. And here's a second thing to give you confidence. Um, no coincidence. Now, I told this story um, in a sermon a while ago. So I don't, I don't normally like to repeat stories because you might have heard of it. But and I look back and it was seven years ago. So I don't know if you'll remember it. Um, but in 2016, there was an 87-year-old 80, lady called Patty Risp. And she was eating dinner at the table in her retirement home in America. And she started to choke on a piece of meat. Uh, it got quite bad. She couldn't breathe. She was turning blue. Until the man in the seat next to her, a 96-year-old gentleman, got out of his seat, went around her back, put his arms around her, and did the, the Heimlich maneuver. You know, the Heimlich maneuver where you, you push. And uh, he managed to dislodge the piece of meat. He saved her life. Um, it's quite cool, that story. A 96-year-old man able to do that. Um, here's the man and here's the lady. Um, it's a good story, but here's what's cool about the story. Do you know who that 96-year-old man was who performed the Heimlich maneuver? It was Dr. Heimlich. <laughs> it was actually the man himself who invented that maneuver. Apparently, he had never, ever had to do it before. Um, I don't think he got to do it again. He just died in December that year. Um, but if I was choking, I think... And wouldn't you think, the person you want sat next to you is Dr. Heimlich? The right man in the right place. That is a very happy coincidence that that man was there. In fact, Patty Riss later said, it was God who put me into the seat next to that man. One of the things that stands out in this passage in Acts are that there's two coincidences, really weird and random coincidences about Paul's birth that just happened to save his skin. You might not have noticed it, but let me point them out. In the first episode, verses 27 and 28, where Paul says he can't be flogged because he's a Roman citizen. Now, um, it doesn't mean he like, lived in Rome. He wasn't like a citizen of the city of Rome. He wasn't Italian. Because the Roman Empire would conquer so many lands, then all the people they conquered would, would have to just serve Rome. They'd be like Rome's servants. But the Roman Empire reserved this special right, special treatment for some of their own. So if you were Roman, if you were Italian, you'd get the, the perks and privileges and the rights of a Roman. Now, there was a way, it would appear from this passage, that if you, are, if you belong to a foreign nation, you can kind of throw your lot in with the Romans. You can have them invade your country and say, thank you so much for all you've done for us. We like your civilization. I'd like to come under your protection. And it seems that there was some sort of system, maybe it was a bribery system, I don't know, where you could buy the privileges of being a Roman citizen. And so Paul says, well, actually, you can't do this to me because I'm a Roman citizen. I've got rights here, and the Roman law, this... The whole thing about Roman citizenship, it protects me here. Now, the Roman commander admits here that he actually is a foreign person to the Roman Empire, and he's just had to buy his way to get these rights. But Paul then says, actually, you know, I, I didn't have to buy those rights. I'm a citizen by birth. 
So Paul didn't choose to be a Roman citizen. You don't control where you're born. He didn't go out and try and get it. He didn't think that was a strategic advantage if he was a Christian. It wasn't anything to do with Paul. It just so happened that the circumstances around his birth were that he just happened to be a Roman citizen. It's just a coincidence. But that's the very fact that saves his skin here. And then the next episode, in front of the Jewish court, he spots that he's being tried by a mix of different sects in the Jewish leadership. There's the Pharisees and there's the Sadducees. And he knows that they are just like warring against each other and they're going to be biased. So he uses that to his advantage. Because in verse 6, he says, I'm a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. It's not like he tried to be descended from Pharisees. It's not like Paul is clever and gets himself out of this because he managed to be descended from Pharisees, his mum and dad. He had no control over that. But again, this coincidence, the fact that he happens to be a Pharisee and that's just exactly what's going to save him, well, that's a detail that saves him. So our passage actually isn't Paul manipulating his way out of suffering. This is uh, two passages that show how Paul was saved twice by a complete coincidence, a fact he had no control over. So here's what's behind it all, though. A few pages back, the Holy Spirit told, Rome, uh, told Paul that he's going to preach for Jesus in Jerusalem and then in Rome. Rome was a center of the Western world in those days. Rome was a special place. Whatever happened in Rome would have ripples throughout the entire world. We now have something similar today. I guess there's so many different world cities, but in certain areas of life, there we get this. So if you wanted to make it to the top in banking or in, uh, in business, you'd want to go to London or New York. If you wanted to be famous actor, you would want to go to Hollywood because whatever happens in Hollywood is going to ripple throughout the whole world. If you were into music, you might want to go to, to Nashville in America because what happens in Nashville, we all hear about that. If you were into fashion, you might want to get your clothes displayed in Paris or Milan because when people see that it's there, well, they know they can really believe you're serious about fashion. Well, it's the same with Rome. Everything revolved about, around Rome. If you can get a hearing in Rome, whatever happens there is going to be heard throughout the whole world. So this passage isn't about saving Paul's skin. It's about getting him to Rome. It's about getting that big hearing for the message of Jesus. And that's exactly what we read there in verse 11. Have a little look down at 23 verse 11. It's a lovely little scene. It's just one verse. Paul appears to, uh, so Jesus appears to Paul the next night. And he says, take courage. As you've testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. That was Jesus' plan all along. Paul was always going to get to Rome. It was great to think about the children's talk. You know, he was always destined to come back to where he needed to preach the gospel. And there were lots of things in the way, but Jesus had had that planned out all along. Is it a coincidence that Paul was just born in the right place, at the right time, to the right people, so that he was both a Roman citizen and a Pharisee by birth? No, that was Jesus' plan. He'd been teeing that up since before Paul's birth, that he'd be the right person in the right place at the right time with the right background so that Jesus would bring his plan to get the gospel to Rome. Luke's readers, and I think me and you, are beginning to see that when it comes to Christians sharing the news about Jesus... 
Jesus has got all of that in hand. He's, he's in charge of that. You don't need to worry. Even before his birth, Paul was being prepared for this moment so that it was part of Jesus' plan to give Paul maximum impact for the gospel. I want that to be an encouragement to you today. If you struggle for confidence to speak about Jesus. You know, before you were born, Jesus was on top of this. Before you were born, Jesus had everything in hand for you to have maximum impact for the gospel. So he gave you your background. He gave you your language, your personality. None of that is a coincidence. Nothing about you is accidental. Everything about you is being used by Jesus to give you maximum impact for the gospel in whatever your own situation is. Now, it doesn't mean you'll, you're going to feel great sharing the gospel. It doesn't mean people are going to listen to you. I mean, look at Paul's example here. He, it's not like he managed to see a brand new church built right then and there out of these Pharisees and Sadducees. It doesn't always look successful, but this passage gives you confidence that you do know, though, behind the scenes, in details you wouldn't even have imagined Jesus has been at work and is at work to use you for his purpose. And he's put you in a unique position. You're the only one who can be you. And that can be used to give yourself an opportunity to share the gospel. So how about that? Step out and let someone know you're a Christian if they don't know. Maybe if you've got the opportunity, ask somebody about their faith, what they believe they believe in God or a higher purpose. Maybe you can tell people on a Monday after the Sunday, you can share with them something that encourages you in church. Maybe you've got a relationship with someone that you can offer to pray for them. You don't know what's going to happen next, but haven't we seen that Jesus has got that covered? Jesus has planned this out and he can use you. Whatever conversations you get to have this week where you're wondering whether you should drop in the fact you're making or that you're a Christian that makes a difference in your life, not sure whether to raise that, is it the right time? Well, Jesus says, take courage. There was always a plan for you to be a witness, and that plan is still on. He says to Paul, the plan is still on. You're going to get to go to Rome. He says to you, the plan for you to be able to speak for Jesus, that's still on. Don't, don't be shy about that. Just go ahead and speak. To be clear, it wasn't a smooth path that Jesus had laid ahead of Paul. It may not be a smooth path that he's laid ahead of you. But Jesus does want Paul to know that he doesn't need to fear as he keeps on sharing what Jesus has done in his life. He doesn't need to fear that. There's no need to be frustrated at this. Because Paul himself has just been discovering that even before his birth, Jesus had planned this all out. So take courage. Take courage. No charges stick to the gospel. It's not a shameful message. You can speak it. It's not outdated. It's not harmful. It's not oppressive. It's life. It's joy. It's freedom. And take courage because nothing in your life has been a coincidence. Even down to the details of where you were born and things about you that you've got no control over. Jesus had a plan all along. And maybe you don't know, like Paul, where that'll end up. But if you're speaking for Jesus where you are, and you're living for Jesus where you are, well, take courage, because he's already been using your past to prepare you for your future. 
Now, I know not everybody here is a Christian, and if that's you, we really do respect the fact that you've come here and heard what we've got to say. I wanted to suggest to you that those two things are worth looking into and spending a bit of time thinking about why we think that. Why it is that Christians believe that the message of Jesus has integrity and truth, and why we have confidence that Jesus is always in charge. Do you see that being a Christian is a great place to be when we know that we trust in something that is true and right? Being a Christian is a great place to be when we always walk in the assurance that Jesus is with us and he helps us. We'd love to share this hope with you. If you're interested, we'd love to talk to you about it more. Jesus said to his disciples that he'd be with them always when they shared his work in their lives with those around them. And we see in this passage, that is really, really true. So I do get that it is hard to speak up as a Christian in school. And I do get that it's hard to speak up as a Christian when your colleagues say what Christians believe is wrong. I do get that when your family has already made up their mind that this is a dangerous thing, that that's not easy to speak about. I do get that it's hard to raise questions or raise conversations about faith when what people want to talk about in the work canteen is sport and TV. And that is why I want to say you have nothing to fear. Our message is true. And Jesus has got everything covered. Take courage.